0: Welcome into the fog.net podcast. Scott Chasen alongside Michael Swain and for the first time in a long time, KU is 2 and 1. KU has a winning record going into conference play. KU has won back-to-back games. KU has won back-to-back games against FBS competition. Michael, let's start here today. I mean, kansas.247sports.com, I I should get that in there off the bat, fog.net again. Um, We were both at Memorial Stadium on Saturday covering KU football's 55-14 blowout win over Rutgers. Uh, This KU team has done something that no KU team under David Beatty has ever done, uh, they've already tripled the amount of FBS wins that that Beatty has for his KU career. Uh, I mean, let's start there. Biggest takeaway: what what's something you saw against Rutgers that that maybe jumped off the page uh, for you, or, or something that just stood out in general?
1: I think this team, all of a sudden, has a lot of swag. That really stood out to me. I thought the the moment that really has resonated with me was Mike Lee's pick six, and that I'll explain. He could have easily gone, ran out of bounds at the very beginning. He was on the far sideline. It wouldn't have been a big deal. Um, on Harris had a really nice block, and it gave him a little lane, and he cut it back and just was doing his best to get in the end zone. And you could tell he really wanted it. And I think that that's something that maybe wouldn't have happened in years past. It would have, Mike may have just jogged out of bounds, you know, we'll take the ball at the 35, and we'll start our drive. But just, it's that aggressiveness and that killer mentality I feel like this team has now that they've really lacked in years past because the confidence just hasn't been there. And when you have the confidence, you really do play a lot better. And Joe Danine said it after the game yesterday. When the team's playing well, the defense starts flying around. Everyone's playing with a smile on their face. It's a lot more fun. You play a lot looser, and you play a lot better. So I think that was really the biggest takeaway from the game is just how much swag they have as a whole.
0: Yeah, that defense's attitude. And, and I talked to Joe Deneen this spring, and I asked him, I said, you're going to have a lot of veterans, couple, but also some talented youth. So the youth that's going to play be playing isn't going to be out of necessity. It's going to be out of talent. They actually win the jobs like Warren Harris has. Do you think this defense is going to have attitude? And he said, you know, there's a difference between, you know, quote, being an asshole and uh, playing with attitude. But he said he absolutely felt like uh, that was something at the KU defense, that they had that kind of capability. I agree very much that you're seeing it. I mean – that, Mike Lee play. I believe it was ten to seven. KU had already had a pick six. Uh, they had a field goal blocked, and that was Rutgers' offensive touchdown. But I mean, or, or the how they got their touchdown? It wasn't. It was a special teams touchdown. But KU was in control of that game, and Mike Lee picks that off or goes out of bounds or whatever. I mean, he said after the game, he's like, "I was tired." He even was pushing a guy just to stay on his feet, and and he said there was no way he wasn't going to store, score especially after Bryce Tornadin scored, you know, on that first pick six. I mean, I don't, I don't know what my number one takeaway is. Honestly, my number one takeaway was like Rutgers is maybe the worst team I've ever seen come into Memorial stadium. And, and obviously, you know, um, even just the last two years, we've gotten the chance to cover some games that uh, were KU did not look so great to put it the, the extremely lightly. And even with that, I have never witnessed myself as poor quarterback performance as, as what Arthur Sukowski did. I, as a freshman coming off an injury, obviously his first two games of the year were semi-disastrous. They beat Texas State, but he threw three picks. KU defense made it look like he didn't belong on the field, and I thought the attitude kind of ties into that, and I and I think the killer mentality that you touched on ties into that too, because. KU four six takeaways again, and at the end of the game, I mean, how many times have you seen a KU team that it was a 30 or 20-point game or whatever, the KU defense, especially in Beatty's year, would, it would keep them in the game, and then eventually, you know, the offense just keeps punting it back and punting it back and punting it back. Finally, the other team breaks the game open, and then in the fourth quarter, they tack on a few garbage-time touchdowns, whatever. That was Kansas in this game. That was Miles Kendrick rushing in for a touchdown, and then Daron Thompson rushing in for like a fifty-five yard touchdown. That that was Kansas doing to Rutgers what so many teams have done to Kansas. And I really did I, I thought that not only represented a shift in um the the program in the extent that this is a lot of progress as I'm not saying you're gonna do this against Big Twelve teams, but this in of itself is progress. They've only won one power five game and last year they weren't within ten points of any other opponent after the opener. Um but also David Beatty. I thought after the game, and, and this is kind of what I wrote, um, first after the game was that uh, he, he his tone has changed a lot over the years in terms of, I mean, he cried after like KU's first two-ish wins. Uh, he was very emotional after the first, you know, really all, all four of them, you could say the road w- losing streak one. He only got a, a little bit emotional at the end of his press conference. Um, you saw it and, and the KU football Twitter account actually posted a video of the locker room speech and David Beatty was basically like, Hey, we did some things good. We got to get ready for Baylor because like, there's an animal coming, a whole different animal coming up and they deleted it. Um, uh, not quite sure why that, that video ultimately got deleted, but, um, uh, I, I think what you've seen is a shift in, in who David Beatty is. And, and you're seeing a shift from, wow, here's what this win means to the program to, uh, hey, we should be winning a lot more games and we should be 3-0 and it's year four and it's time to put some results together. So at the very least, if you're a KU fan, I think that's something you can be very excited about. What What did you think of Beatty in the postgame? And what did you think of the players in the postgame? Did you Did you sense anything in particular from them?
1: I thought that especially from the guys like, I talked to Dom Williams, Khalil Herbert, Joe Dineen, all after the game, and I thought that in general the, the mood was, okay, we played well, but there's still things that we can do better. And I think that that's the truth. If you look at it, we'll get through to our grades in a minute. But if you look at the quarterback play, there's really a lot of room for improvement there. The offensive line still had some penalties. The defense really didn't have too many problems. But I think that overall, they're trying to focus on what that they can improve upon going into next week. And I think that that's something that's different than hasn't really been the message in years past after games where they've won. It's been a lot about staying in the moment about winning the game and not focusing on, you know, Hey, what comes next? What comes next? So I thought that that was an interesting shift that I've seen. And especially with a guy like Joe Dineen, for instance, you know, the first thing he said when he sat down, he's like, Hey, I'm happy I can be here and be, be smiling. Cause the last time personally I had seen him uh, after a game was after nickel state and he was just distraught. So I thought that that was pretty interesting, just seeing how their mindset has shifted, much like how you mentioned that Beatty's mindset has shifted. And I think that really does rub off on the players. And you heard about it, too. Joe Dineen, Daniel Wise, before Beatty even got back to the locker room, they had already started a meeting with all the players, just sending the message of, you know, hey, we still got work to do. We haven't arrived yet. There's a lot more stuff that's going to come. So I thought that that was really interesting. And other than that, your point about Beatty and how emotional he was at the beginning of his tenure at KU and what he's like now, it really does seem like he is a lot more comfortable in his own skin here now when it comes to winning games and just carrying himself after that.
0: Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, I, I definitely think Bryce Tornadin is kind of the embodiment of the, the point you and I kind of both described in that every week I ask him, hey, you're playing at like a crazy crazy level. I mean, if you were handing at all American stuff today, I think Bryce Tornaden has recovered two fumbles, has a pick six, has another interception. Is the third leading tackler on the team. Like Bryce Tornaden's an All Big Twelve player, first team All Big Twelve player. If you're doing that today, and Joe Dineen is an All Big first team All Big Twelve player. If you're doing that today, and and I'll ask him, I'll say. How, how do you feel like you played? And the first thing he'll tell me is, "I missed these tackles. I missed this assignment. I should have done this better. I'm trying to clean this up." I, I think that's the perfect embodiment of that. Let Let's get into our grades. Uh, I, I know I went first with a lot of these last week. So, Swain, why don't you start quarterback play? How would you uh, How would you grade it out?
1: Uh, I gave it a C minus. I thought that it was not the best performance from Bender Kendrick. Really just the two of them, Stanley and Miles. Fallen don't necessarily count. I'm not factoring them into this because the game was already won when they were in the game. But 144 passing yards, 15 to 25 completion rate. I thought that there was a lot of miscommunications, especially when Bender was in. One play in particular really stood out to me. Uh, I don't remember what quarter it was in, but it was in the first half. And it was a play. It must have been some sort of option because Kerr Johnson ran it in and Bender threw it like he was running a post. And it was not even close, like 10 yards away from Kerr or Steven Sims, I believe, who's on that side too. So I thought that that was something that I took away, was there still some miscommunication between the quarterbacks and the wide receivers. There weren't as many drops as we've seen in the past couple weeks with the wide receivers, which I thought was a lot better. And I also think that with Miles Kendrick coming in and throwing the ball, I still just don't have a ton of confidence in him throwing it. He had a couple deep balls and the ball just kind of floated in the air. And against a better opponent in the Big 12, it just makes me a little concerned, especially going against some of the better defenses that they're gonna have to go against, even on the road, going to like Oklahoma. If you make that throw there, that could be picked, and that's just a turnover. And that you can't have turnovers going on the road, especially, or even against the Big 12's best. And Miles Kendrick also had one throw that David Beatty had mentioned after the game that he was really upset about, where Miles threw the ball across his body and across the field. And again, that's another one that could have been intercepted. So I think that there's a lot of room for improvement with quarterback play, but I think the fact that they were still able to get the win, despite not having the best quarterback play is still a positive.
0: Yeah. I I put in my grades, I gave it a C and I wrote, you can't give it a D if their, if their team puts up 55, but, um, I I also noted on the Arthur Sitkowski scale, they they looked like Joe Montana and Steve Young out there, given how bad he was, (laughs) but, uh, I I agree. Generally speaking, I think the fact that they didn't turn the ball over, they didn't take a single sack. And quite frankly, they handed the ball off to the running back successfully on every play. There wasn't an issue unless I'm forgetting one about them handing it off. I, I thought, yeah, it's a C just because they did their job, which was let the running backs rush for 400 yards and let the defense be awesome and don't screw it up. Uh, that being said, I agree. I thought Bender was mostly unspectacular and I don't think Kendrick did anything that, uh, would worry Baylor or anything like that. I actually thought he came off a lot slower than I thought uh, I I had previously thought he was. He struggled to get to the edge. At at one point he got chased down by a defensive lineman. Um, And I was just kind of like, wow, like he does not have the, the burst to be a true. I mean, he is a dual threat guy because he's very comfortable running. I think that's a huge part of his game, obviously. I mean, you see it, they run like constant RPO and read option stuff when he's in there and end zone read and whatnot. However, uh I he's not Michael Vick uh he's not Todd Reesing. he's not you know he's not uh exactly scampering around like that so I, I gave it a C uh offense what you got
1: I gave it a minus I mean how can you not I've just the only reason I gave it an a minus not an A or an A plus is because the quarterback play I still factored that into the entire offensive you know picture as a whole but you rush for 400 yards like that's just mind-boggling I was trying to find after the game what the most single game rushing yards is and I came across a weird stat that someone I don't remember the name now but he had 390 something yards decades ago for KU so I thought that was kind of interesting but the running backs as a whole played incredibly well Puka Williams again just followed up the Central Michigan performance with another just electric performance I thought that Deron Thompson, you know, in the times that he was in, did okay. Same thing with Don Williams. I thought that the biggest thing that stood out to me with the offense was Khalil Herbert and his touches. I I talked about it a little bit in my takeaways from the game, but Khalil Herbert's first touch of the game came with like three minutes left in the sec- in, in the first half, and it was a 59-yard touchdown run. And then he ended the game with four touches total. I thought that was kind of interesting how your lead back all of a sudden gets four touches in a game. Puka Williams gets 18, and he doubles what the nearest running back had, which was Don Williams, who had nine. So I think the offense as a whole looked really good. The offensive line looked good. They got holes for Puka Williams and all the running backs all day long. I thought that they, as a whole, have looked like an entirely different unit since, again, since going against Nichols State. And I think the biggest thing there is switching Andrew Chovey to center and putting Malik Clark in at left guard. I think that's really sure things up, but then that also allows Alex Fontana to come in and kind of run things with that backup rotation second unit, you know, for lack of a better word there. Um, You know, Fontana still did have a false start or a hold. I know he had a penalty. uh, And he got pulled right after. That's right. That's exactly what it was. Um, So I think that overall, the offensive line has shown a really good improvement. The running backs are still electric and they're showing that really KU should adopt the run game this year and they could be pretty successful at it especially if the defense continues to play the way they have
0: yeah and, and a nice call by you going into the game obviously saying that that KU should should look to run a lot more um yeah I generally agree I gave them the uh, an identical grade and and I said pretty much an identical thing in that look the, KU's offense could have been better. I gave them an a minus uh, could have been better. Quarterback play could have been better. They had they settled for field goals four times and punts four times. Uh, two of the field goals were blocked, obviously. They started two drives at the 40 or beyond, or give or take, and had to settle for field goals. Uh, they didn't convert off all the turnovers uh, by, center, or by uh, Rutgers, and David Beatty was unhappy with that after the game. Still got to give it name minus because they put up fifty five even though the defense you know obviously contributed to more than just fourteen of it because they also gave them great field position and and again some of those scores came late when the game was out of reach, but still you, you that that's an a it's in the a range and and that's really the only reason I knocked it down. I think I found that it was either the seventeenth or eighteenth it was one yard away from tying for the the seventeenth best performance in in k football rushing history with four hundred one yards uh would have been but uh, no, I thought it was – you don't see too many rushing performances like that around here uh, nowadays, unless it's the other team. I mean, you, you can only think of like Samaje AP Ryan or, or like Oklahoma doing that to, uh, doing that to Kansas. Um, I, I definitely thought it was significant growth to see that. Uh, we can move to run defense. I think I gave them a B plus, uh, give or take. I, the run defense was fine. I think they forced three fumbles all on running plays, so that was impressive. Uh, however, I would also say that I'm pretty sure when, uh, Rutgers got going, it was, I mean, the one drive they scored a touchdown on, it was basically on the ground. So I I thought, actually, I think I gave it an A minus because I thought the run defense was very good. Um, in general, it had that kind of like one hiccup and very similar to how I graded the, the KU pass defense last week. Pass defense was great. Forcing turnovers, you know, get those takeaways, get the, you know, pass deflections, whatever. They had that one busted coverage that led to a touchdown, so wasn't a perfect day. Uh, but for the most part, I thought K's run defense was fine.
1: Yeah, I gave him a B plus. I thought they were pretty good. That drive you mentioned there, it was, they had a run of, a run of 25 yards, then followed by 13 and 13, which got them uh, to like the KU 9, I want to say. And then they punched it in a couple plays later. I thought they played well. They filled the gaps well throughout the game. They didn't have miscommunications. It looked like the calls were getting in in time. That was a big thing I was going to watch, especially being there in person again. Because against Nickel State, like it was well documented how slow it took them to get the calls into the defensive linemen. So I watched that, and they looked like they were getting the calls in a lot quicker this time. So a good performance, but I still the one drive kind of is, is sitting in my head.
0: Yep, for sure. All right, uh, so let's go to pass defense.
1: Uh, Anytime you have two pick sixes in a game, I gave him an A+. I mean, yeah, how can you not, right? Two pick sixes in a game, three pass breakups on top of that. And, I mean, Azur Kamara could have had a pick six himself in the first quarter. Like, he had a pass literally hit both of his hands right in front of his face, and it just went right down to the ground. So it's clear why he's playing defense and he's not a receiver. (laughs) <laughs> but um, I thought that they played incredibly well. I thought Coryon Harris getting his first pick, I thought that's pretty big for him confidence-wise. Just And that's the biggest point that I had made in that film room on Coryon Harris a couple of weeks ago, is that he's going to continue to get more and more comfortable, and they're going to be able to use more and more coverages with him in there. So he's going to continually show more and more talent that he has as the weeks go on. I thought you mentioned it, Bryce Tornaden was incredible in the first half he had. And I think even in the first quarter, he had the pick six and a fumble recovery. I think that's just a great start to the game. And I think he's definitely well on his way to getting some big 12 recognition towards the end of the season, if he can keep it up.
0: Yeah. Bryce Jordan has really impressed me. Corion Harris has really impressed me. Sha- Shaq Taylor's really impressed me. Mike Lee really impressed me. Uh, I mean, there there was pretty much one starting player in the secondary to begin the year who didn't impress me and that player no longer really plays. So uh, I thought the fact that the KU staff was gonna able to get a ton of depth and uh, was able to use a ton of different guys, I, I thought it was a perfect game for the secondary. I, I didn't. I don't think there was a single thing they could have done any better. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, Kamara doesn't come up with the pick, and I think the next play or two plays later, they do get the pick, uh, and that might have been Tornado's actually. And it's just so funny. Like, I, I mean, even when they didn't get the interception, you knew Arthur Sidkowski was going to give him another one because I, I mean, just good lord, he was. Like I said, it was probably the worst quarterback performance I've ever seen in person and, and probably the worst quarterback performance I've ever watched on TV. I really don't think can be overstated how terrible he was and, and maybe dealing with some injuries and, and some other stuff or maybe just not ready. I'm, I'm not quite sure why that why or what they saw that would have shown that, that he would have been ready to go, but I mean very, very, very clearly he wasn't. So, yeah, obviously gave it an A+. Um, two pick sixes, three turnovers. Clint Bowen has done a phenomenal job with the cornerbacks. Uh, And when you think about it, the cave defense, two of the last three years, two years ago, this defense was a middle-of-the-road Big 12 defense, and that was a large part because of what Clint Bowen did. And Clint Bowen can get handcuffed sometimes when he has younger teams, especially last year that secondary was really, really, really bad. Uh, But I think you're seeing Clint Bowen work with the cornerbacks now. Someone asked me, well, what about the impact of Bill Miller and Clint Bowen? Look, Clint Bowen's been doing this for 30 years. Clint Bowen knows what he's doing, and Clint Bowen's working with the corners. Bill Miller's with the linebackers. I promise it's it's not a surprise that the cornerbacks are as good as they are. If you look at Clip Bowen's path, working with individual units, he always develops someone. Whether it was the safeties and Fish Smithson, linebackers and Ben Heaney. uh he 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 has that track record. And I know he's not the most popular guy in Lawrence, and I know people uh, love to pick at his schemes or say why aren't you blitzing here or doing whatever. Um, the fact of the matter is, KU defense has been a really, really, really good. Like if you're ranking the units, offense or defense each year. Probably number one is this year's defense in the Beatty era. And probably number two is two years ago's defense. And then maybe it's a team's offense or something like that. I don't know. You'd really have to think about it, but I don't think that's any coincidence. I actually think Clint Bowen has done a really, really nice job with the secondary, especially considering that uh, you have Cassius Sendish, who is a new safeties coach working with the safeties. And that doesn't mean he's bad at it, but it does mean he gets a lot of guidance from Clint Bowen. So when you think of how good both the safeties and the cornerbacks are playing, a lot of that is because of Clint Bowen, uh, both units. Even though obviously Cash Sendish, I think, is doing a really good job too. Um, finally, to get into special teams, I give it a D plus. KU had two kicks blocked, and Steven Sims ran backward on a, a punt return. I was actually going to give it a D, but then uh, Gabriel Rui had a forty nine yard field goal. KU made two field goals and missed two, so I gave it a D plus. Uh, but I thought special teams was bad.
1: Yeah, I gave it a C minus. I thought that. I agree. I thought that that Stephen Sims return was a l- just weird running. I, you know, rule number one: just don't run backwards. Um, anytime you have two blocked kicks, I didn't see the second one, but apparently, people were saying that the snap wasn't good. But looking, or Jesse Newell, the Kansas City Star, told me after the game that it looked like it was a bad hold actually on that one. Um, so I think. But the one positive you can take away again from this game, out of special teams, is just Kyle Thompson again. He only punted four times, but averaged 40 yards on those punts and had a long of 51, he's going to be really important going into big 12 play. Um, if Kansas really wants to be competitive and try and, you know, switch the field, they need him to be consistent and not, you know, struggle like Cole moves did last year. And, you know, where time at times, he almost handicaps you because you know, you're not going to flip the field if you punt. So I think that's really important going into big 12 play. I also don't think you're going to have two kicks blocked in a big 12 game either.
0: Probably you you would think you would think you'd hope, but you would, you would never really like, like it's kind of weird and, and hard to know exactly how that happened. I'm also the biggest uh, Donovan Gagan fan just because he's the backup punter for the short punt specialist. And it is solely because of his nickname that David Beatty told us is it's unclear at this point, whether it's gangnam style or Gagin style, Uh, But it's one of those things. So shout out to David Beatty for, I'm guessing, coming up with what is actually like a really funny nickname. Um, Let's get to a few other topics with this. Now that the team is through uh, non-conference play, or uh, David Beatty called it the the pre-conference slate, um, let's talk a little bit about big picture here because I thought, I mean, one thing that was interesting to me was like Rutgers looking like Kansas, the coaching matchup. I mean, at certain points, Rutgers played very conservatively. For example, punting on like a fourth and six from the 39, which you don't have to go for it in that situation. However, by the time they got the ball back, they were 47 yards behind where they started. Their offense hadn't scored a single point yet, and they were down by 17. So it's fine if you want to say fourth and six, fourth and seven, and the 39 of Kansas yeah, that's too far to kick a field goal and it's too far to go for it, that's fine. But if you're down seventeen and again your offense hasn't scored a point, you need to adjust. And I think we saw that Rutgers didn't. Now I don't think KU was over overwhelmingly aggressive. There were a number of times I thought they could have done things differently. I'd have really kind of forced the game to get to its breaking point a lot earlier than it did. But at the same time you can't really blame David Beatty if everything is working out as well as it is for saying, Yeah, we'll kick the ball back, probably go get an interception or something, you know, so um I thought that was another just kind of key indicator of the progress of where KU is. And and through three games, I mean, where they are is where they are. They are 2-1. and one. Uh, They should be 3-0, and oh. uh, not because Puka Williams, if Puka Williams plays. I really don't like that people are saying that because the fact of the matter is if KU replays that game, they win that game. If KU replays that game without Miles Kendrick, they win that game. If KU replays that game without Khalil Herbert, they probably win that game. So you don't need to add any players to Kansas. You could take away players from Kansas and Kansas still probably should have won that game. The fact of the matter is they had three snaps going to the middle of nowhere and they had three wide receiver drops and they had that fumble. And those three mistakes, which all came in regulation, you take all those out. Or even if Miles Kendrick doesn't come in in overtime, like who knows how that game changes. And the fact of the matter is, Nichols State was bad. I mean, you saw them get blasted by Tulane the next week. Kansas would have won that game if that game was played. You know, eight out of ten times, it just happened to be one of the two they didn't. And I don't even think that's like painting it with rose-colored glasses. I don't think Nichols State is the best team Kansas has played. Maybe they are. I think Central Michigan, though. I think Central Michigan really did some things that bothered Ku. That game was seven to nothing at half, and basically got broken open by two Puka Williams runs, and then got a little lopsided down the stretch. But I mean, that's the game to me. Um, I I would be very interested if Central Michigan played uh, Nickel State. I think Rutgers is by far the worst team KU has played in, in their conference slate, and good luck to them in the Big Ten because they're certainly going to need it. And if you're Nebraska, I don't know who plays who, but if you're Nebraska, you're just hoping you play them soon so you can <laughs> pull some of the pressure on Scott Frost there. But um, let, let's talk about where KU is through three games, and I'm curious to get your thoughts do you consider this team a good team, an okay team, an okay Big 12 team? Where where are you kind of at with this, and, and where do you think KU kind of ranks in the, you know, 129 or whatever team it is in, in uh, college football?
1: Well, I think I'd start by saying this is the best team of the Beatty era. I think that if you look at this team just compared to other Big 12 teams, I think they're still towards the bottom. I don't think they're as far bottom you know they're not rock bottom like they were you know in 2015 or even you could argue last year too I think that this year I think going against Baylor is gonna kind of tell us more about them because Baylor's not going to be one of the better teams in the big 12 but I do think that they are a bottom or bottom three big 12 team but that's still improvement again off of last year and in years past where they have struggled so I think going into Baylor if they can get a win I think that that will be a huge statement going forward that, hey, you know, this could be our year to get at least a couple more wins and to kind of break the streak of being a total embarrassment?
0: Yeah, I I think if KU would beat Nickel State and then went in and beat Baylor, obviously that's two big ifs. Uh, But if they did both of those things, the conversation around Lawrence would be about bowl eligibility. They'd be 4-0. Like, at that point, you have to go two and six after starting four now. And that's not easy, especially considering games against the, the crappy teams in the conference. Unfortunately for Kansas, they're all on the road. Like if you're trying to end the road losing streak, this was kind of a great year to do it because you had Baylor, you had Texas tech, and I think you had Kansas state all on the road, if I'm not mistaken. So like that bodes really well for you. The three worst teams in the conference, other than you are all on the road and you have central Michigan, who's not good at all on the road too. Um, However, now that they've won the road game, the game—the name of the game—is now wins, and it's just win as many games as you can. And and I I really can't imagine what it would be like, even if they had just eked out a win over over Nichols State, and it had just got—it was still like a motivating thing because it was like, wow, we almost lost to an FCS school. Um, if that were their kind of mentality, like I think they could have come out the next two weeks and played the same way they did. And then I think it'll be very interesting if they do beat Baylor. I think. I think now all of a sudden the David Beatty conversation becomes a lot more interesting because if they beat Baylor, they're probably going to win another game in Big Twelve play. And now you're looking at four wins; should have been five wins. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure Jeff Long will be looking at it like Puka Williams. He's the reason they didn't lose if he plays. KU wins five games. Um, very intrigued to see what happens there. Um, and and I agree. I think KU was a bottom of the Big Twelve, bottom of the the league Big Twelve team. But I think they're a Big Twelve team. It's not like they're like. I mean, like they've struggled against Mac teams in past years. It's not like, like, I think some of those past teams would have been like the worst team in the Mac, you know, without knowing too much about the Mac and who all is in it. But like, they were legitimately horrific power five teams that weren't, you know, when they couldn't get within, they got, they were, they put an 18 game, point game against Ohio that only got to 12 in the last play of the game. Like they were 18 points worse than Ohio. And the score was honestly worse than that. And then they were 18 points worse than central Michigan against Shane Morris. So much so, I mean, Shane Morris had the best day of his his life against KU. And I think, again, that was so much because of how bad KU was on that day. So um, let's kind of end in doing this. Let's try and give one highlight and one low light for KU right now. And then maybe we'll finish it out with one area they've exceeded expectations and one area they've fallen short. So starting with the highlight and low light, I think the highlight was obviously this whole game against Rutgers, but especially the first half, Uh, putting up 31 points in the first half, You know, just having a performance at home to where the, the crowd that showed up could be proud, especially after the Nickel State game. I think a lot of people didn't show up because of that Nickel State loss and they were like, well, I don't want to just go and see Kansas lose, even though Todd Reese was getting inducted in the Ring of Honor. I think that it took away from him. Um, if KU beats Baylor, I expect a big crowd. I think it's Oklahoma State the next game. I expect a, a really, really big crowd for that game. That would just be my guess at this point. Um, and, the, and the low light to me is, uh, it's not... I'll, I'll try and pick it, a, an individual instance from the Nickel State game. I, I think... Honestly, it's probably that last defensive drive in the face mask that extended the Nickel State drive. That's another thing people forget about. If KU doesn't have that face mask, they probably beat Nickel State in regulation, even with all the mistakes they made. Um, yeah, that, that face mask, I believe, by Kyron Johnson that extended the drive early on and then helped Nickel State go get a field goal. I thought that was a low light. Um, so, Swain, one highlight and one low light.
1: All right. So, my highlight is going to be the emergence of the cult hero, Puka Williams. I think that he has single handedly given the people of lawrence hope for this program going forward i mean jesse newell had a good story about puka's family um in the kansas city star about his his dad driving 13 hours up from louisiana to come see him play you know just walking around seeing just how much the people around here love puka and he's played two games already like
0: cult hero i like it
1: yeah i mean this may be the fastest that like a cult hero has been born in <laughs> as long as I can remember. I mean, a, a true freshman two games in and he's already got the fan base, you know, watering at the mouth. I will also say that my, you know, one B to my one a is also just Joe needs first career interception. I thought that that was just a cool moment for him, especially being here for five years. Now he's been through the entire Beatty air. And even the year before Beatty got here, I thought that that was really just big for him and the low light. It's, got to be that third down in overtime against Nichols state i thought that just the play call the way it went just summed up the game it just summed up the atmosphere in the stadium at that point it just it just didn't work it didn't work at all like the twist that they ran worked perfectly for the play that KU had called um and i thought that that really just summed up the lowest part of this season for KU so far
0: yeah. And another cool moment when uh, Carter Stanley's helmet popped off and Miles Fallon actually got to play and, and you could tell how excited he was, you know, he wanted to make sure he got in the game and then, you know, he could still redshirt actually, because, it, you know, he gets to play in four games now. So I thought that was a really awesome moment for a kid who is probably never going to factor into the quarterback competition, but um, good for him that, that he at least, because, you know, Miles Kendrick's a sophomore. So, but, uh, but good for him at least that, uh, you know, he got to, he got to have that experience that had to be very cool. Um Ending it real quick, one area they've exceeded expectations defensively. We knew the defense was going to be good. We didn't know it was going to be this good. Now, can they do it in Big 12 play? That's the bigger question, and and I think we're going to see that. One area they've fallen flat of expectations, I think, is is use of quarterbacks. That's not particularly a referendum on the coaching staff because um, I think they had a plan coming into the season about how they were going to do it, and clearly the plan all along was to be – Is slowly working up Miles Kendrick's workload and and maybe even starting him at some point. I don't know if they'll do that against Baylor. Um, I thought, Swain, you had a really interesting point about that in your story that people can read uh, at kansas.247sports.com. So I think the the way that the staff has been unable to figure out the optimal quarterback usage would be the low light right now, Uh, mostly because the offensive line improved. Like game one, offensive line was really bad. First half of game two, offensive line might have been worse. And since then, they've been a pretty solid unit in my estimation. And Uh, I think Antoine Frazier even got some snaps last game and i main and Malik Clark, like you mentioned, and Andrew Tovey and, uh, Kevin feeder and Hakeem Adeneji and, and really, I mean, all the guys that are getting worked in Dwayne Wallace, uh, it's, there's, there's been a lot of them that have played Chris Hughes too. Uh, and you're kind of seeing it all kind of come together and work Alex Fontana, if I didn't mention him, I think that's every lineman who's played the game this year, but, um, yeah, so that, that would be my, my, uh, high point low, or low point and the, the expectations. Um, a- any thoughts on any of that?
1: Yeah, so I'll just add on my you know, exceeding expectations is also the defense, but just more specifically the secondary. The four of the five starting DBs have an interception now in the year. The only one that hasn't had one that has started a game is uh, Hassan Defense, who didn't start last game, and then also... Um, Uh, Tyrone Miller, I believe is the safety that hasn't, doesn't have a pick yet either. And for me, the part that has been under expectations is the quarterback play, not necessarily who's playing, but just the play in general, regardless of whoever's in, I'm just going to read off the lines that they've had so far, you know, 21 of 38 for 199 yards against nickel state 18 for 27 for 145 yards against central Michigan and 15 for 25, 144 yards against Rutgers. So basically Three games, they're 54 of 90 for 488 yards. They're throwing for 162 yards a game. That's just not gonna cut it in Big 12 play, especially because now that it's kind of known that Puka Williams is the guy and that they're gonna they have some really talented running backs, you're gonna see a lot of the Big 12 defenses stack the box. So going forward, the quarterback play is gonna be really important using the play action to try and break open some big plays in the pass game and hopefully keep things open in the run game as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think that's a, a great place to end on too. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I think we pretty much covered just about every topic with uh, with the win and where KU is through uh, a few weeks. All right, so uh, I want to say thanks to Michael again, as always, for joining me following every Kansas uh, football game. And and I'll be down in Waco. Uh, Michael will be holding things down up here, so looking forward to getting out there, seeing what's going on. Bay- Waco is actually one of my favorite places to go to cover games. Uh, one of the coolest uh, football stadiums, I think, in the Big 12. So, um, you know, KU historically has specifically struggled against Baylor. Uh, even when Baylor has been really bad, that's been a matchup that has never worked out well for Kansas. Uh, Kansas will never have a better shot to beat Baylor than what will be the case right now. So uh, very interested to see how that goes. Um, that being said, I, I do think KO is a legit shot, and I think even just seeing what the line is going to be, I think that's going to be fascinating. So uh, that's where we will leave you today. This has been Scott Chasen uh, alongside Michael Swain, kansas.247sports.com, and the fog.net podcast. Thanks so much for sticking with us, and we will talk to you guys next week.